Welcome to the Declaration Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. We pray that today's message encourages you and blesses you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit us at declaration.org. You feeling good today? (laughs) All right. Thank you. So we've been in this series now for the last two weeks called Hope Again, right? Week one, we asked the question, is there any hope? Week two, we looked at the promise of hope. And if you weren't able to kind of plug into those, I'd love to refer you back to um, declaration.org and look for that, that podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also go to YouTube and see it there. But two, two um, messages that I feel like might be important for us in this frame of life especially. Now today, we're going to be back in the book of Exodus, but we're actually going to move away from chapter 14. We're going to refer back to it a bit, but we're going to go to chapter 15. So if you've got your Bible, um, go there with me, Exodus chapter 15. It's about page 59 in mine. I don't know about you, but uh, today our message is called The Test of Hope. The Test of Hope. Anybody like to take tests? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to be a humdinger today. All right. So here's the question I want to ask as we begin, okay? Here it is. Can we remain hopeful when hard things happen? Can we remain hopeful when hard things happen? Because see, the test of, um, the test of our hope will, we, will reveal the truth of our hope. The test of our hope will reveal the truth of our hope. So when we open to Exodus chapter 15, we're going to see immediate, now immediately following some pretty dramatic events, right? Um, there were some pretty dramatic supernatural events that led to the Israelites' rescue from, you know, out of the Red Sea, the defeat of the Egyptians. We see how quickly their attitudes just kind of shift. Um, God's people, man, dramatically their attitude changes. We, they start, remember, with this defiant hope, and they're marching out, and, man, they're, they're ready to go. And then all of a sudden, we, that was in 14, all of a sudden that gives way to panic and fear very, very quickly at this oncoming attack of the Egyptians. And now we see them in chapter 15 turn to this ecstatic celebration and praise. And they are super pumped up. And, and I mean, we will see it. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me right here. In fact, we call this passage a song of deliverance as it starts. Verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And they sang, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to, basically, I will give glory to him, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. I mean, very resolute. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. I will exalt him. And then they go on. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to walk you through because there's a lot of text there, but I'm going to highlight. Verse 3, they declare the Lord is their warrior. Verse 5 and 6, that talks about the events of God taking out the Egyptians. Verse 7 and 8 speaks of the greatness of God and his power. Verse 11 declares that there is none like God. Verse 18, they declare that the forever reign of the Lord, their God. Just much like we just sang about. So here they are, and they're piling on the praise, and then something happens. Just as quickly as their defiant hope um, turned into desperate hopelessness in chapter 14, and just as quickly as hopeless panic gave way to high praise in 15, now we see starting around verse 22 where something shifts dramatically. Look at it. It says, then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, okay, So this is very immediately following the events of the water walls and and them finding salvation and then the Egyptians, you know, drowning. 
So he leads them away from the Red Sea and they move out into the desert of Shur. They traveled into this desert for three days without finding water. For three days, when they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which actually means bitter. Then the people, what did they do? Complained. And they turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demand. So here's the Israelites. Now see it. God's people literally, literally had just seen God do supernatural, incredible things, unbelievable things, really. And, and here they are now. Only, uh, three, only three days have gone past their, their moment of rescue, and they're complaining already. And they're saying, what are we going to drink? I mean, did, did they completely forget the supernatural events from just three days prior? How God had just provided in a miraculous way before their very eyes. It only took three days and, and now they're concerned with water that they're complaining is unsatisfying as if God can't do it again. Verse 25, so Moses cries out to the Lord for help and then what happens? Well, the Lord shows him a piece of wood. <laughs> okay, God, thanks. <laughs> what am I going to do with that, Right? Now, the wood, there's nothing magical about this in any way, but, but much like Moses' staff before, if you really read through 14 and you saw the things, that, the events that led to the, the waters parting and the Red Sea cross, much like that staff, um, it's very possible that God's about to show them another symbolic act, a moment to build anticipation for the miracle that's about to come on their behalf, right? So, so Moses, he, he, he takes the wood and he throws it into the water and, and it makes the water good to drink. And it's there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard, Scripture says, to test their faithfulness to him. And he says this in verse 26, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and if you do what is right in his sight, notice the language, if you listen carefully and if you do what's right, obeying all of his commands and keeping all of his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases that I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you, he says. So Mara is a test. It's a test of their faithfulness. It's a test to see if their hope is truly anchored in him, in, in, in God alone. I, and I wonder how many of us have experienced moments like Mara in our life? How many, how many of us have, have come to the waters to drink only to realize that they're bitter and found ourselves at a moment like Mara? Because here's the truth today. Remember, the test of our hope will reveal the truth of our hope. So God's decree, again, verse 26, listen carefully to my voice, follow me, be led by my spirit, do what is right, keep my decrees, obey my commands, and if you do this, then I will not make you suffer any of these diseases that you've seen plagued upon the Egyptians. He says, I'm the God who heals you. I'm the God who heals you. So he's saying, here's the deal. If you'll do this, then I'm gonna do that. Man, I hope you're seeing this today. I hope you're seeing this today because here, here, here's something that I, I think that we need to see. Here's some good truth for us today. You ready for it? Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. And I'm just going to pause the regularly scheduled program and just tell you something. I know some of you may be thinking, but wait, Pastor, God's an unconditional God. He is. He unconditionally loves you. He has unconditionally sent Jesus to die on your behalf. And there's nothing that you can do to earn it, deserve it, have favor for it, purchase it. Your salvation was purchased because of the 
the suffering and because of the sacrifice of Jesus giving his life on your behalf, and all you do is surrender to it, that's it. Invite him into your life to take over, that's it. But see here now, we see God say, but if you will do this, then I will do that. You can go ahead and continue to lead your passionless um, existence of a life, continuing to sip from wells that are not deserving, continuing to drink from waters that are bitter and trying to tell yourself for some reason that it's good. Or you can drink of living water and surrender to him and follow him and walk in his spirit and trust him and let him guide you and lead you even into moments like Mara. See it? Obedience brings blessing. It's like 2 Chronicles 7. If my people will do this, then I will do that. There are moments where God is telling us, hey, listen to me. If you'll do this, then we'll do that. Do you know how many times I've heard my wife say, if you'll clean your room, then I'll take you to a skate park. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Obedience brings blessing. And listen, I, here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to bless you. I absolutely believe that. But more so, our God desires our obedience. He desires our obedience. And I know we struggle with that. Oh my gosh, man, we don't necessarily like that. We don't really love the obedience and, and the surrender factor. We don't necessarily want to have to do that really in our flesh. We typically, we want it our way. We'd rather serve the Burger King God. Have it your way. Have it your way. We want it our way. Can I tell you what that's called? That's called entitlement. Entitlement. And it's the first thing I want us to see today because the test of our hope reveals the truth of our hope. Number one, the test of our hope will reveal our entitlement. This is exactly what we're seeing from our spiritual ancestors, the Israelites, right now in this passage. We're seeing entitlement. It only took three days for them to see their faith slip into frustration, and they quickly default to discouragement and distrust because what? Three days. Three days. And now they're not getting what they think that they need or what they think that they want after they've just seen a supernatural move of God. I mean, remember, they had literally just seen God create walls of water to provide a path to their promise, and they still don't get it. It wasn't going the way they thought it should go. What are we supposed to drink, they say. And finally, here they come across this oasis. It's water, but it's bitter water. I mean, are you serious, Moses? What are we going to do? What are we going to drink? What are you going to do? Why did you lead us here? We would have been better off there. Are you serious right now, Moses? See, I wonder when I think about Mara, could this have been a picture, this bitter water, could this have been a picture of God's distaste for unbelief? Could, could it be that God used the bitterness of the water to illustrate a point for our need of purifying and healing? I've been thinking a lot about this water. It was bitter, but God made it pure and God made it clean. And it made me think about when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and he spoke to the Samaritan woman, and he asks her for a drink. Little did she know, he was really only making a conversation that would lead to her conversion, right? It wasn't about the drink as much as it was about her dignity, if you really study the passage. It wasn't even about the drink as much as it was about her destiny, if you really study the passage. And here's Jesus after her surprise that is even speaking to her because he being a Jew, she being a Samaritan woman at this place, this time of the day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In verse 10, he says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. 
And they continue to converse. Jesus reveals a lot of truth to her about the water in that well that she's drinking from, trying to satisfy her thirst. And she questions Jesus' words about this living water. Verse 13, he replies, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give to them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within their lives, flowing out of them. It will give them eternal life. See, I love how God uses water in so many different ways to teach us so many different things, illustrating, using it as examples, um, using it as pictures. Another example, Revelation 3, um, where we see what the, the Holy Spirit is saying to different churches, and he hones in on this church at Laodicea, and he addresses them. Verse 15, he says, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. See, this imagery is believed to be talking about um, the water system at Laodicea because they don't have their own, so it's coming from different places. Um, the cold water comes from Colossae, and that's the good stuff to drink. Um, the, the hot water's coming from these springs of Hierapolis, and that's actually good. It's got healing properties. So when the waters would arrive in the city, they would kind of converge, and they would just become lukewarm. And God is using this now to illustrate to this church. He's saying, like this water, church of Laodicea, it's neither refreshing like the cold water, and it's neither healing like the spring warm water. He says, you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm spiritually, meaning, man, you're being complacent. You're striving too hard for your own comfort. You're having such high capacity, but only reaching for cookies on the lowest shelf all the time. You're always choosing the path of least resistance, having little depth and little conviction. And God's saying, choose one. Just, just choose one. I don't even care which one. Just be hot or cold. That's what he's saying. Just be hot or cold. Pick one, either one, or 16. But because you're lukewarm, nor hot or cold, neither one, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, is what God says. He's saying, this water's not worth drinking. He's saying, I, you know, I was thinking a lot about Especially this, as God uses water to illustrate. And um, I came to a realization. I think if we're to imitate Christ, if we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, right? If we're supposed to be the lamp um, uh, giving light to the darkness, if we're supposed to be the city on the hill, if we're supposed to be the fragrant aroma of Christ, if we're supposed to offer this living water that is flowing within us, it hit me. This is what hit me. Lukewarm people can only offer lukewarm water. Lukewarm people can only offer lukewarm water. And you know, if I'm just being completely transparent today, man, this summer I found myself on a three-week journey of just realizing the depth of my lukewarmness. How I had allowed myself to become apathetic and too complacent in too many areas and frustrated, honestly. And so I just wanted to take a second and apologize to you for giving you lukewarm water. Really. And so since I came back from that trip, I've decided, you know what, it's time. You can talk about going all in or you can just go all in. Because what did God say? He said, hey, pick one. Pick one. But if you you continue down the path you're going, I'm just going to spit you out. Pick one. And I chose to not do the cold version or the lukewarm version. Are you with me, somebody? Come on. All right. Because what this city and what this country and what this world does not need is a lukewarm bride of Christ offering lukewarm water 
doing complacent, apathetic, halfway lukewarm things. We don't need it. Back to Exodus 15. After leaving Mara, the Israelites travel on, on the, on this, you know, to this oasis of Elam where they found 12 springs and 70 palm, 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there. They found an all-inclusive adults-only resort. <laughs> and they camped there. I would too. I'd be like, here's the promised land. We're good, God. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know? <laughs> Look at it with me. It says, then the whole community in verse, chapter 16, verse 1, the whole community of Israel set out from Elam. They journey into the wilderness of sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrive there on the 15th day of the second month. It's, watch the timeline, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So now one month into the journey, verse 2, there too, the whole community of Israel, what do they do? They complain. They complain about John and Aaron, I mean Moses and Aaron. <laughs> Verse 3, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moan. There they sat around pots. And he says, there, when we were in Egypt, we would sit around pots filled with meat, and we ate all the bread that we wanted. But now, Moses, you brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Now, think about this. Think about chapter 14. Remember what they said at the first sight of the attack from the Egyptians? Why did you bring us here? We would have been better off just staying there. Then the Lord says to Moses, verse 4, look, I'm going to, I'm going to, I love this. I'm about to rain down provision. I'm about to rain down food from heaven for you. Man, isn't that good? Think about that. In spite of all of their entitlement, this is God's response. I'm about to rain down food from heaven. It says each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And then God says this, and I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Let me ask you a question. What if, what if our tests that we endure, our Mara, what if it's really all about our obedience? I mean, think about that. Here we are right now where we are today, the year 2020, everything that we've endured over the past few months what if it's really a test about our obedience? What if everything we're going through right now is a test of our trust? What, what, if, what if it's to see if we will align our hearts back with his? What if it's to see if we will come to the end of ourselves to say, no more lukewarm, God? What if it's, what if it's to see if we, we will continue to be faithful and trust him to see if we will remain obedient? What if? What if all this is God testing his people to see if they will remain obedient in the face of fear, pandemics, famine, oil crunch, job loss, painful loss of family even, enduring, walking, faithful, trusting you, God. God, you're still good. God, you're still right. Uh, listen, this is, this is the tough stuff. This is where the rubber meets the road. Kid going wayward, God, you're still good. Marriage fractured, God, you're still right. God, I'm still gonna remain faithful. I'm still gonna trust you. Loss after loss, seemingly, God, you're right. You're, you're, you're gonna rain down provision from heaven. I, I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. I'm waiting for you, God. I know even in my waiting, even when it seems like you're silent, even when I wanna question your authority, even when I, even when I wanna question your existence, God, 
I'm still going to, I'm going to choose to stand still and wait for your salvation. I'm going to do it. I mean, what if this is the case? What if it's all a test? And I know this doesn't feel like it's going to be one of the more popular podcasts of the sermons, but that's okay. I mean, what if it's, what if this is the case and this is a test? Let me ask you this. Are we passing? Are we passing? So God has provided for them over and over And now here, God says he's going to do it again. Verse five, on the sixth day, they're going to gather food. They'll prepare it. It's going to be twice as much as usual on the sixth day. So Moses and Aaron says to the people of Israel, by evening, you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints, which are actually against him, Moses says. Let me interject that. Not against us, Moses says. What have we done that you should complain about us, Moses says. (laughs) And it's important for us to see because, listen, God hears us. God hears, listen to me, God hears when we give him glory and God hears when we grumble. He hears it. So verse eight, Moses adds, the Lord will give you meat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning. He has heard all your complaints against him. But what have we done? Your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Moses is saying, God is your hope, not us, not me. He's saying, God is your sustainer, not us. God is your provider, not us. It's all him. It's all him. Verse nine, then Moses says to Aaron, announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves to the Lord, for he's heard your complaining. (laughs) Pastor Aaron says, it's like God said, yeah, go to the principal's office, right? But make no mistake, this whole exercise is God testing his people to see where their true hope lies. And, And here Moses is saying, tell him to go stand before the Lord on this. Could it be that the people of God are looking to the pastors that God has appointed in Moses and Aaron instead of God himself? Can I tell you this? We still see this play out today along the very same lines. We in our humanity and our flesh, we tend to do the same things. We tend to do it. I, I see it all the time play out in church world. I'm seeing it right now play out in real time in some other friends' churches. You know what? I've even been a part of this. I've done this in my own past of, of, of looking to pastors more than God. I mean, rather than looking to God. I, I've looked to the church. I've looked to religion. I've looked to people. And I'm looking for their acceptance. I'm looking for their approval. I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for all these things, but I'm looking in the wrong places. I've done this before. Maybe you have too. I don't know. For 21 years, listen, can I tell you, for 21 years, I was, I was in the Egypt of my hurt. Listen to me, please. I was in the Egypt of my hurt and my offense for 21 years because of something that a pastor said to me. Giving him the benefit of the doubt now at 46 and not some like 19-year-old, I can probably see maybe that's not what he meant, but that's what I heard. And for 21 years, I lived in the Egypt of my hurt and my offense. I let the enemy keep me in the bondage of it for far too long because I was giving too much power and too much hope to things that weren't deserving. I was making agreements with the enemy, not even realize I was agreeing with the devil rather than looking higher from where my hope really came from and where my help would come from. That's what I was doing. Have you ever done this? I mean, this is how it tends to play out, just so you know. We get, we get involved, we, we, we invest, we get hurt, we get angry, we complain, we pull back, we don't give, we don't serve, we question. We don't even realize that we're, being, we're, we're dancing with the devil with our divisiveness as we pull everybody in to hear what we have to say about it. That's what we do. 
I mean, we're hurt. The church hurt us. We have a right to be hurt. The pastor didn't do this. He didn't teach it right. They didn't sing. The, they should have sang the song that I asked them to sing. Believe it or not, we've heard that. <laughs> so what do we do? We pull back. We disengage. We disconnect. Sometimes we just even quit. We move along somewhere else, different church, new and better one, better, greener grass, one that really doesn't even know our stuff, one, one where we can hide and still hurt, right? Uh, one, the greener grass concept, yep, different pastures, different pastures. We're looking for better water. We're looking for better bread. That's what we're doing. Did you hear it? I'm going to give you meat in the morning, bread in the, bread in the morning, meat in the, We're looking for better water, better bread. That's what we're doing. And we'll pull up to, to where we think, watch this, where we think the palm trees are good and the springs are nice. And if that old place, if that old place that we left from, if it wasn't my Psalm 23, surely this new place will be. And if God wouldn't or couldn't do it um, or provide it, then maybe I'll just make it happen for myself. See, after all, there's always another church down the street, but truthfully, in God's eyes, there's really only one. Did you hear what I said? There's really only one. And all along, we've been putting our hope in people. We've been putting our hope in pastors. We've been putting our hope in church. We've been putting our hope in, um, you know, much like these people were doing as they're blaming Moses and Aaron, and they're putting their hope in them. And we continue to hold on to our hurt. Please lean in right now. We hold on to our wounds, and we hold on to our offense, and we hold on to our scars. And the whole time we are doing that, we are rejecting his. Because Isaiah 53.5 says it's his wounds that are giving us healing. And we'd rather hold on to ours. It's our trophy. Can I tell you this? It's a benefit of our sin. It gives us attention. It gives us an excuse not to engage, not to do the hard things, the biblical things, the loving things, the right things, the honoring things, the worshipful things. And we will never walk in healing as long as we were holding on to our hurt. We would rather have our wounds than his. We have to stop rejecting his wounds in favor of our own. And we have to stop putting our hope in waters that will never satisfy us. Listen to me. Today, many are placing their hope in unable hands. Please hear me. We put our hope in government. We put our hope in pastors. We put our hope in politicians. Help me, somebody. We put our hope in bank accounts. We put our hope in our, our health and our health care. We put our hope in education and our work and our jobs. We put our hope in our kids. Man, we worship at the altar of our kids far too long. Far too long we have worshiped at the altar of our kids. We put our hope in our sports. We put our hope in our relationships. We put hope in religion and people and church. We put our hope, you fill in the blanks. And all we are really doing is continuing to perpetuate or play out the generational curse of unbelief that our spiritual ancestors struggled with that we are studying about today. And trying to settle our hunger and our thirst by putting our hope and trust in things that cannot and do not satisfy. When we face trials and tests, the test of our hope will reveal the truth of our hope. So can we and will we remain hopeful in Jesus even when we face the hard stuff? Will we remain, will we remain obedient or will we remain obstinate? Remember, obedience brings blessing. The test of our hope reveals the truth of our hope. The test will reveal our entitlement. And just as the test of hope reveals our entitlement, the second thing I want you to see today is this. The test of our hope also reveals our idolatry. Our idolatry. 
Could it be that when we feel hopeless, it's because we put our hope in the wrong place or thing? Consider Paul in Romans 8, where he starts in, in verse 18. He says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, Paul is contrasting present trials and tests and, and, and suffering to um, the hope that, that he has in the promise of Jesus. He goes on saying in verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, hear me, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now listen, we didn't choose the suffering. We don't choose the trial. We don't even choose the tests. Um, God did. Creation was subjected to frustration. We didn't choose it, but by the will of the Lord. The test of our hope reveals the truth of our hope. And in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated, set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. See, much like Israel's exodus from Egypt to liberate them and to to bring them into this promise, the true children of God are to consider that the present sufferings we endure are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us if we continue to trust and walk with our hope firmly secure in the only one worthy, Jesus. See, we recognize that no matter what we go through, no matter what we have to endure, no matter the seeming hunger or thirst, no matter the trial or the tests, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt we can hope again because of Jesus. Because we've been liberated from this bondage of slavery in Jesus' name. And no matter what we endure in this life, there is a glory to come to live as Christ, to die as gain, Paul said. No matter what we may come, uh, or no matter what may come at us today even, when we look up and we see Egypt on the attack, no matter what may come, there's purpose in it, and we can remain hopeful through it. Paul goes on to say in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. But listen, hope that is seen is no hope at all. So if we are putting our hope in anything other than the Lord, anything that is seen, it's not hope at all. Not at all. It will fail us. It will never satisfy us. It will not fix us. It will leave us hopeless. And can I say this? It is an idol. It is an idol. When we put our hope in things that will fail us, we will end up feeling hopeless. Any and every test of hope we endure will reveal our entitlement, and any and every test of our hope will also reveal our idolatry. If you're feeling hopeless today, check yourself at what you're placing your hope in. Lastly, as we continue in chapter 16, much after, a lot of chatter going on over the manna God promises to provide here to satisfy their hunger. It's worth going back to read. It's good stuff. We just don't have time, but there's a lot to learn. I'll give you a few, just things to think about. Trusting God for manna for today, for the moment, um, not hoarding for tomorrow because that's basically unbelief and distrust of God put into practice. Um, But for time's sake, again, let's move on. Finally, lastly, we find ourselves at chapter 17. Important to note, now we've seen God part the waters. We've seen God purify the water to drink. We've seen God pour out manna in the morning and meat in the evening. Provision over and over. God's shown himself, his power, his ability to provide. And over and over, we've seen the fickleness of his people to consume and complain. And here we are at 17, verse 1. 
At the Lord's command, it says, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin, moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at this Rephidim place, but there was no water for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Finally, Moses had enough. He said, quiet. (laughs) Be quiet. Why are you complaining against me? And then he says something very interesting. He says, why are you testing the Lord? Why are you testing the Lord? See, even though God may test us for our faithfulness, for our obedience, for our our love and gratitude and affection for him, our joyful gratitude, under no circumstance should we put ourselves on his throne to test him. So as 2020 continues to roll on, no telling what's going to come next to everybody. (laughs) Rather than complain about it, let's just believe there's purpose in it and praise him through it and wait for his provision. Wait to see what he wants to do. Verse two. So once more, the people complain, give us water, quiet. Why are you complaining? Why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us? Out of Egypt, are you trying to kill us? Are you trying to kill our children? Are you trying to kill our livestock? Then Moses cries to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. They're ready to kill Moses right now. The Lord says to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one that you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders to join you, the elders of Israel to join you. He's basically saying, okay, Moses, it's time to step up and lead. Lead in a different way. And it's gonna be hard for them to hear And he says this, this is what he tells Moses. He goes, I'm going to stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. So he's saying, Moses, I'm going to be with you. In fact, I'm going to be be before you. You step up, I'm going to be in front. He says, strike the rock. Water's going to come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he's told. Water gushed out of the elders, looked on. Moses names the place Masa, which means test, and Meribah which means arguing because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Man, can you see it? The test of our hope will reveal our entitlement and the test of our hope will reveal our idolatry. Please understand. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, is God here or not? Is God with us or not? Let me remind you, God is the potter, we are the clay. God is the teacher, we are the student. God is the father, we are the children. Our trust and our hope is in him. Arguing and complaining is nothing but testing the Lord and and really just illustrating to him the depth of our unbelief in him. God is the one to do the testing. And don't forget Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. It's God who tests we should never try to test God. Verse 19, to go backwards. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, which is the last thing I want you to see today. Number three, the test of our hope will reveal our sonship. It will reveal our sonship because the test of our hope reveals the truth of our hope. When we endure, when we remain faithful, when we grow through it rather than grumble about it, the test of our hope will reveal our sonship. And I want to pray today with you. I'm going to invite the team to come back. And if you would, just 
maybe take on the posture of prayer and, and I'm just going to ask you a few more questions as we close our eyes and just really begin to lean into the Lord and ask him to have his way in our hearts and our minds and our lives. Listen, can we, can we remain hopeful when things, when hard things happen? Are we acting out of entitlement or are we acting out of humility? Are we complaining? Are we arguing with God? Have we put our hope in some idol? Man, I'm praying that God would find us so deeply thankful today. What is it that we have our hope in? Have we held on? Are you like me? Man, don't do this for 21 years. Gosh. Are you holding on to your hurt and your offense today thinking that maybe that wasn't for you or about you? Can I tell you something? If, if there was even, maybe God wants to do something in you today. He's the God who heals you. If we find ourselves constant and complaining and arguing, there's an indication that our hope is in something other than God. If we find ourselves holding on to our hurt, then our hope really isn't in God. We're just fixated on our hurt, which is another form of entitlement and idolatry and pride. If we find ourselves currently hopeless, it's an indication that maybe we put our hope in an idol and we need to invite Jesus to be on the throne of our lives to be the king of our lives, to be in charge, to surrender fully to him. And man, my prayer is, is your hope is one prayer away. So when you say, yes, Jesus, I believe I need you, I'm, my prayer is that hope would just come rushing in, almost like the waters crashing in on the Egyptians, chasing away and killing every attack and lie of the enemy that he's spoken over you. That hope would just come crushing in like those waters did. Are we passing the test of hope today? Listen, we can hope again. God is on his throne. He's madly in love with you. And he's closer than a prayer away. This morning, as we pray, God is ready to receive us in our repentance and, and free us from any slavery, any entitlement, and any idol. The question is, is, Will we humble ourselves today and praise him even in the test? Because I'd rather be hopeful with him in a test than hopeless on my own in the trial. So Father, would you speak in ways only you can right now? Holy Spirit, ah, would you move in power and authority? God, in your kindness, would you bring conviction over this house today? Would you give us um, such a resolve in our heart to get things resolved with you that we would be in alignment with you? Because God, we can only hope again when we're putting our trust in the source of hope, which is you. And so reveal to us the depth of our entitlement and pride, the depth of our idolatry, and call us to a, just an intimate, closeness with you, God, we pray.